You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Hello, I'm Mirella Amato. Welcome to Hot Plate, a post-foodie podcast. This season, we examine the impact COVID has had on every aspect of our food system, all the way from farm to table. We'll look at how things have changed and try to untangle what's going on behind the scenes so that we can strengthen our connection to our food. In this episode, lessons from history and the problem with taking people out. Vive la révolution! Oh my goodness, Joshna. Last episode. How are you feeling? I am feeling great. It's hard to believe we're here. I know. It's been quite a journey. Uh, it's, it feels very exciting that we're here uh, on this wrap-up of this very, very uh, cool and interesting season we've had. Definitely. But first, some formalities. Indeed. What was the last thing you ate? Oh, man. Last thing I ate <laughs> was this fiery chili chicken with jasmine rice. Ooh. Uh, my mom is visiting and we're doing some recipe experimenting. And my mom has a major penchant for wildly hot food. Uh, and there was an obscene amount of green chilies in this in this dish, but it is it cooked down in a way that mellowed the heat out. Uh, so it's definitely still wildly hot, and the tingles are still very much you know what I mean. I, the runny nose and the burning ears were all part oh of, delightful. It's really yeah, it's good times for me for sure. Uh, but it was it was hotter than I usually cook for myself because my mom is such a chili head, and um, and it was delicious. Oh, oh, that's right up my alley. Yeah. Uh, what did you eat? I, I'm actually feeling real, <laughs> I'm not feeling good about ending on this note, but I <laughs> ate another salad. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's just feel like, nice. Uh, my, my, uh, my eating habits are, are being revealed. Was it delicious and satisfying? It, it, it was interesting. Um, cause I was making a tuna salad, but I had no celery, which okay. is half of my Indeed. tuna salad, as Indeed. you know. So I looked around for anything I could find that might be crunchy, and I ended yeah. up using. Uh, I th- are they called shallots? The little, yeah, oval little shaped onion like yep. things. So I put shallot in there and uh, uh, sunflower seeds were oh, the nice two one. How crunchy things I could find, and uh, I just thought, eh, we'll see how it goes. But it ended up being really lovely. I put in my celery salt anyway, just uh, for good yeah, measure, and. Uh, Actually, it was. I think it worked better with the uh, with the olives than yeah. uh, previous iterations because I've started yep. putting olives in my salad, and olive and tuna can clash sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and somehow the shallots seem to um, eliminate whatever issue that is. So it worked out nicely. I love it. And I've had yet another salad. It's just a phase. I will eat other things. That's I promise. cool, <laughs> and it works, and it does the job. I think it's fantastic. It's a Enjoy quick it. lunch to throw together. All right. Uh, okay, so here we are. This season, we have been focusing on the impact of the pandemic on our food industry. Uh, it's been uh, many episodes of lots of really, really fascinating discussion. Uh, and we've decided to conclude the series by diving right into ideas about the revolution, which is, this is one of my favorite things to talk about. I have to say, Josh, no when you proposed this episode. I really thought this was going to be like this niche thing that we were going to come up with about this, right. you know, this post-pandemic food revolution that needed to occur. Uh, and then I started snooping around, and this is this is very real. It is very there are much major, major yeah. organizations 
globally yep. that have suddenly seen this what they what they're describing as this opportunity that you know it's I don't want to speak lightly of COVID it's been absolutely horrible but indeed within yes. this horrible uh, time that we've had as we start coming out of it um, they're all saying it's like this incredible opportunity to rebuild a food system that was broken even before this is it the pandemic began yep um, so and it's not just you screaming off a little it's little it's wonderfully hill, reassuring not, right. I <laughs> I just imagine you waving your little flag. Indeed. Well, that's exactly <laughs> the, the truth. <laughs> that is exactly the truth. This was, uh, and I'm relieved that it doesn't have to be a one woman revolution either, right? I'm like, it's awesome that we've got other smart, big, you know, resourced uh, folks in on this idea. I was also really, really uh, encouraged when I did some snooping around uh, to see that this is, this is a conversation that is out there. Uh, and there's even just real talk, really uh, almost formulaic talk about the fact that disasters like the pandemic has been our sort of fertile ground for revolution. And that that's yes. sort of just a rhythm of history, right? Which is, a, yes. that's a lovely piece to, while, you know, it feels like it's this strange, crazy thing that has, you know, landed on us to understand that disaster is disaster and that there's a way, you know, we've done this before as humans, uh, right? And that there's a pattern, uh, you know, and a rhythm to it is, uh, it's very, very exciting. Yeah, I read a great quote. The, um, uh, a lesson from history and psychology is that crisis can induce behavioral changes in people. There it is. And that's what it's encouraging to me because it, it, this is like a deeper change that needs yep. to occur. But before we get into the revolution, why don't we take a moment to recap the season? Yes. Because um, okay. it's been a really long journey starting from uh, the farm, right? That's it. We started right with the land. Uh, we were talking about actually what happened, surpluses and how farmers were growing. Uh, right then we had a conversation about who was doing the growing and the harvesting with talk about migrant labor uh, and the role that that played in a pandemic. Uh, right. And what that what that taught us all about the realities of our food system and who does this work, uh, you know, on the ground of producing yeah. and, and getting this food to us. And through every single step, there was a COVID impact. Right. Every single there was one. not one little piece of the chain that was spared in yep. any way. Some definitely were hit harder than others. Mm-hmm. Um, and we definitely solve vulnerabilities, um, which you have pointed out were there before. That's and we're exactly just, it. you know, exacerbated and highlighted. But it, it really, as I was looking back at the season, it really occurred to me that, you know, the food system is just a, a microcosm of the rest of the what's going on in the rest of the world, which is this crazy corporatization of like a very few people controlling many, many things. And like the person making the decision being very removed from, you know, what's actually going on. And Mm -hmm. it also occurred to me that when it comes to food, that just doesn't work because unlike other things that you can really, really standardize, you know, food is organic right? No two tomatoes are the same. No two chickens are the same. No two. Um, and this is really what's what's causing a lot of the problems because on one hand, companies are trying to do everything they can to mechanize That's and there's it. only so much you can mechanize. And then you end up with these very menial jobs for people to that basically are replacing machines and then they're being treated yes. like machines, which is, you know, not cool. On one hand, that's a great and then observation. The, I like the way you said that. That's a perfect, perfect way to say that. Yes. And then on the other hand, you have people trying to standardize foods, 
which yes. is where we get this huge lack of, you know, there you to mechanize things, you have to standardize them. And so you mm -hmm. end up with this lack of diversity. And, you know, we, you know, we can talk about the different colors of carrots and the different colors of tomatoes. And all I the just, tomatoes and the, yes. But then we can also talk about what we discussed in the uh, the episode with the meatpacking plants mm -hmm. and the idea that, you know, standardizing livestock is actually very, very bad for spreading disease. This is exactly and it's leads a bit to of a all kinds map. of other problems. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, if there's anything that we've seen in these episodes is that the people on the ground are really suffering. And most of the time they don't like what's going on. Not at and all. And the people who are making the decisions just seem to be very detached. Yes, uh, yes, it really, the, what I see so clearly is that uh, forcing uh, or building a food system that forces the generation of profit is the problem, right? This is yeah. the, the corporatization of it uh, and the need for us to be able to generate money from doing something as important as feeding ourselves is the problem, uh, right? And, and the, 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 multicolored evidence of that is so that has become so clear i think uh during these past sort of 18 months ish of this pandemic um i found a quote that i loved so much uh by vijay prashad who is an academic and a, and a real interesting thinker around these issues and he says we need to produce healthy food close to where people live that's the system i want to live in and that system is simply not profitable yeah. Right. Because and 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 I think the 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 real wealth there is the idea that when you force a syst a food system to be profitable, you turn it into something other than itself. Right. And this you're not is focusing on the food anymore. Not right? at all. I not, love or, that thing. What's people? that thing that you right. say about they're they're trying to uh, sell us food, not. not yeah. They, they, the focus what? is to sell us food, not actually to think about feeding us. Yeah. Right. Uh, the that priority really of the people in the power in this food system just want to sell us as much food as we will buy. There is a disconnection from that intention to the idea that a food system should be focused on actually feeding everybody. Yes. And that food is about more than, you know, this is another thing that's I think has been so highlighted in this season. Like food is about more than just food, you know, like it's more than calories in the tank. Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's, it's about a, it's about people, right? And it's about people and people's connection to other people, <laughs> uh, right? That really, uh, I think, as somebody who is as deep in it as I am, the corporatization of our food system has really worked to take the people out, right? Yeah. To automate things so as to generate and maximize profit, minimize costs, maximize profit. Um, and the removing the people from the system really devalues human effort right and we are in a place right now we see this all over where we where we really undervalue uh, or just simply don't even acknowledge all of the human effort required to move our food you know what i mean in a sustainable ethical uh you know equitable way from field to kitchen to table and then potentially back to field again uh right taking the people out has been the problem and we see uh, that that what we need to do is figure out ways to put more people back into the system. Right. Right. And I feel like beyond not taking into consideration the people behind the food who are, you know, responsible for bringing the food to us, it's also not taking into account the people who eat it. That's it. You know, if you're 
trying to force you're not thinking about like what is the most you know nutrient rich way to do this what is the most you know the the healthiest way to produce this if you're just thinking about bottom line you know that then a lot of really icky ingredients get in there icky yes. practices and it's a compromises it's get like made a, right it's not even about the quality of the food anymore and you know and and about what people are eating it's just about making a product it's oh that's and so are the the lovely people at slow food who i am really well connected to this is an international uh, sort of good food advocacy organization with from roots. italy from it i was gonna say <laughs> carlo <laughs> proud 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 Shout italian out. indeed <laughs> Um, and I have had the delight of going to their annual con- their biannual conference twice in Torino. Mm-hmm. And it is, uh, I really, those memories will stay with me for my life. But one of the things that I got from them, this was 2008 was the first time I went, was uh, a, re- like a, a rethinking of the entire relationship. You know, what Car- Carlo talked a lot about the idea that just understanding ourselves as eaters is part of the problem. Right. And that we as as consumers of food, we need to actually change our attitudes to be sort of co-producers. Uh, right. And oh. it's not to say that, that means we all have to get out onto a farm, but we have to understand that we work together. Right. We right. don't just sit there receiving the at, the, you know, at the end of the system that sort of spits something out into our hands. We are active, thoughtful engaged elements of the system we make choices about how we want our food grown or where we want our food to come from or or how we make space for food in our communities Uh, and once you understand that about yourself and who you are and you there there's so much more opportunity there and that is exciting and and connection right because it's it's, instead of just being this recipient you're the last link this is this chain this that is has, it. Uh, I really right? like and that thinking. The the valuing of just really seeing like you are just the the final set of hands, right? That this mm-hmm. that this food is put into. It's a, a a different experience than just somebody who opened a package and ate something. Yeah, and uh, it's been fascinating to see throughout this season that um, you know when we did the food at home episode, people are feeling a lot more connected with their food. Yes. They are they're cooking a lot more. They're eating together, which to me, that social aspect is also a very important piece of mm-hmm. food. Uh, and when I now think of it in the light of what you were just talking about, about being that link in the chain, all these things that were puzzling me before about, yeah. you know, why people are suddenly noticing that other people are hungry and why people are yes. suddenly very yes. concerned about where their food comes from. Right. And um, now it makes sense to me because there's this hired I, I hate to use the word engagement because I feel like it's like a super corporate disgusting word, indeed, but you know what I mean? Indeed. Like people are people are more, I'm gonna say engaged, but you yes. know what I mean? They're yes. they've they've uh we feel like we're a piece of something and so therefore we're we're looking around to see what the other pieces this is are it. that uh right huh very smart so in, in that sense yeah. that's a very you know a, another sort of positive thing to highlight. About it's what it's very positive. Us. It's very, very positive because it's it's so reassuring that our instincts around this are still reliable, right? Yes. That way, you know what I mean? In moments of strife, that when we really feel pressed, that I was so happy to see that everybody ran back into the, well, a lot of people ran back into the kitchen uh, when times yeah. of stress hit. I was so, so excited to see it. Um, and, and I think that we have all, uh, you know, in some way had a taste of 
another smarty pants thinker about this is Raj Patel, who I heard say first, uh, we are so much more than the decisions we make in the grocery store. Mm. Right. Uh, yes. And and our and our relationship with food is about much more than the decisions we make in the grocery store. Uh, and we we really, really see this. Right. We really see the impact of this uh, because now we care about or we know about people in our community. We've bought food. Some people bought food directly from a farmer for the first time. But that is impacted. Right. That's sad that there's an imprint on them there and they're much more inclined to keep that going because of the value of the connection. Yeah. And, and I have to say, I've always enjoyed cooking. It's always been, yes. uh, even when I'm just throwing together a salad, yeah. <laughs> um, I still, you know, do it with love and, and curiosity and a sense of adventure. Um, and just ha- having learned about all these different pieces and now thinking of myself more as this last link in the chain, I feel like I'm going to appreciate it even more. I think I'm going to enjoy it on a different level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to having you know, conversations with my food on a different level. Oh, I love that. New conversations with your food. All right, Chashna, it's time to talk about La Révolution. Oui, I love it. <laughs> I love and it. I have to say, as I mentioned earlier, I was really surprised at how many different entities in this time are you know getting up and screaming and saying now's the time now's the time and just laying out these very specific plans and you know the different things that can be done you know uh and you said something very interesting to me the other day about you know the the whole idea of this being an era of revolution Yes. Uh, I love that piece. Uh, I found this too when I did some digging around and the idea that they're like the time uh, of French and American revolutions. It was just sort of, it's in the air, right? This is a moment uh, where everything has kind of come tumbling down and that, that those, that those are sort of like the necessary circumstances for revolution. Yes. Right. When things really fall. Uh, that is the only, the only move next uh, is back up again. And so that to, again, it positions us in history. It's, this is not a random, isolated, unexplainable thing, right? This right. is very explainable. This is very somewhat predictable, right? If we sort of zoom out to look at the big picture on all of it. Um, and so the idea that there is this excitement around the world and from the likes of the World Bank and the World Health Organization, like it's not even just uh, like grassroots initiatives, right? These are mega, yeah. mega organizations. The World Economic too. Forum as this well. Really uh, talking about it, which uh, is delightful because that means that we might actually we might actually do something. And it makes sense because COVID is already completely you know, changed our lives. It's been a complete upheaval and it's really created this sense that we're all in this together. So I don't know. There's, it kind of seems natural that then we would all move forward. It does. It does. And uh, one of the, the little quotes I found that I thought was so helpful to contextualize this is the idea that the pandemic uh, was a bit of a revelation in that it revealed that post-war institutions though still very much functioning, are quite tired and need revitalizing. Yep. 
uh, right? Because we can connect uh, issues with the food system right back to the end of the Second World War, <laughs> right? It's about so, post-war ag, you know, uh, chemical sub, uh, surpluses and all sorts of other things that were about our lives after that Second War uh, and that we need to move on. We are not those same people anymore um, and we need some new ideas for the future. Yes. So here's a quote that I found. Uh, Instead of incremental changes to food systems, lessons from COVID-19 provide a unique opportunity for real structural change that can make these systems more efficient, resilient, healthy, sustainable, and equitable. Now is is a time like no other. COVID-19 has changed what is politically possible, demonstrating both the potential and urgency of sound policies. And that really clicked with me because we we did that whole episode about all these laws that were suddenly changed. That's it. You know, it was just like necessity dictates. It's like, okay, these, these old laws are no good. Let's change them. Let's, let's switch the way things are, you know, let's, let's keep that momentum going. You know, the governments have learned how easy it is to do. We have learned how easy it is to do. Uh, It does create this whole world of possibility. Uh, it's that's exactly it. We can do it. We did it. We watched ourselves do it. Uh, and in fact, uh, a piece uh, that I read from The Guardian uh, in the UK, they so smartly said that it may seem like a pie in the sky idea, but so too did the idea of millions of people working from home and halting road and air travel until it happened almost overnight. Right. Yes, right? we did it. It, sh- uh, it really, if you look at it in that light, it just opens the door to so many possibilities. Uh, I think so. Uh, and uh, you pulled this beautiful quote from the folks at Via Campesina, uh, and they're a wonderful grassroots agricultural advocacy sovereignty organization with roots uh, in uh, Brazil. Uh, and they have been calling, they have been some of the loudest voices from the margins, let's say, for many, many years about reform and to our food system specifically. Uh, and so they have said that at minimum, we need a food system that provides adequate daily nutrition for our whole population. At its best, it will pay an integral role in shaping and delivering a good life for all members of our society. It's a yes. simple wisdom, but this connects to this idea of this being a human rights piece and a human rights issue, right? And if we cannot, if all seven point however many billion of us that live on this planet do not still do not eat a good meal every day, uh, what on earth are we doing? And what is this system that we have working? Yeah. It it wasn't working before, and COVID has just highlighted, you know, how intensely problematic it's been. And it makes sense if we're still doing what we were doing at the end of the war. Like, that was a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> you got to evolve. You got to yes. change. And I guess when the evolution isn't possible, a crisis will spark, you know, a, a dramatic change. That's it. Because it has to uh, hurt a little bit to push people to choose something different, right? Uh, And that's the vulnerability of the revolution, I think, is the fact that we as communities, as individual people, as countries, nations, we still have to choose to do this. This yes. will not happen automatically, right? We the, the the ground and the, you know what I mean? The soil may be ready, but we have to actually plant the seed and do the growing and do the thing. For sure. Uh, and whether we're brave or strong or, you know, energetic enough to do that is what yet what's yet to be determined. But uh, this is the, the one piece that we all kind of have to really have our eyes open about. Yeah. And so the one huge piece of that, as we've been discussing so far, is definitely policy. 
uh, and lawmakers. And I came across this very interesting, it's the World Economic Forum. They have three points that they think need to be hit with these legislative changes. So I thought I'd run them by you for your your feedback. Uh, So number one, rethink supply chains for uh, a diverse and healthy diet. Yes. Yes. Right? A hundred percent. Love that. I hope that means uh, uh, getting like really, uh, you know, ad- attacking our factory farms, <laughs> right? <laughs> I really hope that that's included there. Yes. The second piece really resonated with me and I think also speaks to what you were talking about earlier about how this is all stuff from World War II and the world has changed. Uh, we need to build stronger connections between environmental and food policy. Yes. And to um, understand that one is often the other. Those two very things. Yes. Right. Right. And that environment policy is food policy. Right. And that food, good food policy has implications on the environment. Yes, for sure. They're interconnected. And this third one, uh, still from World Economic Forum, but could have been written by you, uh, (laughs) is to strengthen, democratize and localize food system planning. That's it. And that's what we were talking about in the last episode. Right. Yep. Is trying to help uh, community communities, countries you know, at every level, people being more uh, self-sustaining This is exactly in terms it. of how they source uh, and uh, manage their food chains. Uh, I'm on board there. Yeah. Those are all legit, solid options. And those are the real pain points. They right? are. The, the lack of those things are really the pain points. And if those were changed, we'd have completely different outcomes for the livelihoods of farmers, for our planet, for humans and their own nutrition. Like the, I got such wisdom from my friends uh, at the Toronto Food Policy Council many years ago. And mm-hmm. they say that good food policy, a uh, policy that respects the people and the earth and the process and all of it, automatically means good health policy, good environment policy, good jobs policy, good labor policy. Because if we treat the earth right and grow food and pay people fairly and, you know what I mean, and understand equity and justice, we will have, we will treat the earth better, right? Our environment, you know, climate change issues will be addressed. Uh, People will have good jobs. So labor policy, you know, people will be eating better food. So health outcomes will be impacted. We really can in a moment like this, we really can focus on the food, build a it's food so, system that works, right? Yeah, it, it's so interesting hearing you talk about that, because I'm immediately reminded of when we talked about the restaurants episode. And I was questioning, like, right. you know, what is it about restaurants? And you pointed out the huge eco- ecosystem that lives around just restaurants with our, just one tiny piece of this uh, this food system that we're talking Precisely. about, but just around that tiny piece, there's like hundreds and hundreds of companies that rely on restaurants to stay afloat yes. uh, and to and for their business. And so, if you think about the fact that just that one piece of the chain has such a huge impact, exactly. if we make a if we make a grassroots dramatic change to the entire system, I mean, that's of course that's going to impact everyone. It's it, and, it and it's work. food. Yeah. And it's right. We all have a vested interest here by virtue of being human, uh, right? This should matter to us. Here's another piece that I came across that I I really wanted to talk about. It was just like a passing comment in one of the one of the uh, the articles I read, but it really made me stop and think. Um, and it's about the science and yeah, uh, the okay. research that is done around food, because you know a lot of the decisions that we that we make 
in general, but certainly yeah. also in food, are based on you know scientific research sure. and empirical evidence, right? The problem here with science in the food space is who the people paying for scientific research always, always have an agenda. Yes. You know, whether it's the companies, right? You were talking about uh, earlier on in this episode, the corporatization of food. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all know that, uh, you know, if there a certain food company is behind uh, a certain study, it's somehow going to somehow going to conclude that that particular food item is great, right? Precisely, uh, right? right? All of a sudden, um, dairy is the only source of something or the other, yeah. or you know, these crackers. So the, are thing, the thing is, yes. you know, and and if it's not companies, it's the it's the government paying for studies, and the government also has an agenda. Yes, right. So, um, just the way food science is approached, I think, definitely really useful if that was changed, and also, um, you know, and this isn't something I read. I'm just. Yeah. Thinking out loud. But, you know, we talked about earlier how food policy and, and environmental policy need to be closer linked. And I think food study and environment study, it shouldn't be two separate things. Definitely. Uh, there needs to be a lot more. And um, this is, you know, a problem of contemporary science is it happens, you know, in little silos and little buckets. Agreed. And I know, you know, uh, I know people who work in labs and there's a lot of like, protecting of information and you know right and not it's sort of the opposite of what science should be right science should be open sharing of information that helps everyone grow and it should not have an agenda to begin with uh, you're absolutely right uh because somebody like me who tries to get policy uh, changed or shifted i am forever being asked for scientific or academic evidence that what the change that I am looking for is in fact the right move. Right. right. But when we have scientific study that is so sort of tagged, uh, right. Or colored or, you know what I mean? Or biased uh, in whatever direction it is, they're never necessarily like, it's never going to work. They're, they're never going to actually, like, they're never going to meet the needs if it's so, you know, if it's not objective this way. Uh, yeah. And that is, that is that I have lived experience of slamming into those walls for sure. So, yeah, for me, you know, those are the two big pieces of the revolution is the the policy piece and the the science piece. The third piece, of course, is the human the human impetus, but I feel like that's there from what we've seen. It really really feels like it. Uh, it's just a I question think- of channeling it properly. That's it, uh, right? And all of us recognizing that this is the moment. I sometimes worry that we're all just too exhausted. Uh, right? Because this has yeah. been such a slog of a time. Are we really ready for, do we have the, you know what I mean? Do we have the energy for a revolution? Uh, I hope so, right? I really, really hope so. Uh, because it would be such a shame to miss this very cool opportunity uh, to, to make things better and to build a system that actually works for everybody who is a part of it. If you are enjoying our podcast, please support us at patreon.com slash hotplatepod. Hotplate is part of the Frequency Podcast Network. Please consider leaving us a rating or review. It helps others find us. You can follow us on Instagram at hotplatepod. Follow me at Virology on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And follow Joshna at Joshna Maharaj on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Hotplate is produced by Mirella Amato, that's me, and Dennis Coyne original music by her brother. Thanks for listening.